Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. All right, here we are, last week of Mark. Uh, show of hands, who was here the f- when we started this series? All right, so a good amount of people, mostly on the bottom. Um, I want to point our attention to two things. Turn your Bibles to Mark 16, and as you're going there, I want to point your attention to a couple things. So Mark chapter 16 is what we're looking at this morning. One thing that um, I don't want like to point out failures, and so I'll just point out um, negligence. Uh, if, you didn't, if you don't have the book that we're going to be studying, you can go to the library right after the service and pick up that book um, for a, a low, low price. Uh, Sergey will be there, and you can, you can buy those today because we're starting Thursday. So do that on your way. And then next week, as we go to two services, we are going to be starting a four-week series on the church. So yes, we're going to two services, but we're still the church. We're still one body. Um, and so we're going to work through a series on what it looks like for us to be uh, the body, be one body together, be the church. And so um, be looking forward to that. And then after that, you can start reading now. We're going to be working through the book of Ecclesiastes. So um, I got one woohoo out of that. <laughs> Everything else is meaningless. So... Um, we, uh, we, we will learn that everything is not meaningless, but uh, that's where we're headed next, uh, Ecclesiastes. So here we are, Mark. We ended on a very heavy, heavy, um, on a heavy note last week where, where Jesus had been crucified. Jesus died a death that we deserve, and, and we saw that everything in the book of Mark is pointing forward to the cross of Jesus. That's what we worked through last week, and that's what we, we, we have seen up through the, the year that we've worked through this. Jesus breathes his last breath, and he dies. The corpse of Jesus, that's the word Mark uses, the corpse of Jesus is taken then by Joseph to a, a tomb. It's final. He's, he's dead. That's where we ended last week. But I told you at the end of the service that that's not really where it ends, that's where we ended last week, but, but there was more to that story. There, there's more to that. Thank God there's more to that, right? Praise God that there is more to the story of, of Jesus than, than his death. It, it doesn't end there. So how does it end? How does it end? That's a really good question, especially when we come to the end of Mark. How does it end? We, we may know the story and, and how it goes, but how does the book of Mark End. How does how does Mark end out the story? If you look at your Bibles in cha- chapter sixteen, um, it, it goes through verse eight, and then you get to the end of verse eight, and there's a split in the text, and, and maybe a note for you there that says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses nine through twenty. Right? Do, you, do you see something like that? So, so what do we do with those verses? We get to the end of the book of Mark. We thought we were going to wrap this up all, all neat and tidy. How does the book of Mark end? Well, there's, there's historical evidence 
um, that, that's come to show a, a lot of things. And here's, here's where, where I think we should land. We don't have a lot of time to work through, through all of these things, but let me just show you where I think we should land. We don't, we don't, we don't have time to go through all of it. When, when the books of the Bible were compiled... Those books were, were taken from the earliest manuscripts that had been found, right? So, so all of that, the, the earliest manuscripts that have been found, they've been compiled and they've taken those earliest manuscripts because they're the most reliable manuscripts, which means they're probably the closest to what, what the original author intended to communicate. Does that make sense? So if I tell you that this morning I had oatmeal, right, and, and then tomorrow someone wrote, wrote about it, because that's riveting. They write about my story of eating oatmeal this morning. And then tomorrow, you, you read that and think, yes, uh, Vince had oatmeal. And then in 2030, right, you, you think back, what did Vince have to eat for breakfast in 2030? Or in 2014. We're not there yet. Uh, 2014. Right? And, and it gets further out. And, and by that point, you don't really care. And so you're thinking back about that original manuscript, the one that was closest to the event, as being the most reliable. The earliest, oldest, most reliable manuscripts stop at verse 8. So that, that's why we get to that. So we'll see that, that verse 8 is, is a really strange ending to the book of Mark. Here's how it ends. Women run away. The end. Right, that that's how that's how it ends. And so, do you ever get to the end of a story where where you wish for something more? You you get to the end of uh, maybe for some of you to the end of a movie um, if you don't read, um, and, and you wish that there was a different ending. You wish that there was some different ending. A few years ago, I was um, um, documented as the only one on the planet who had not seen the TV show Lost. And so um, several of you nerds, uh, you know who you are, so just claim that, all right, um, suggested that I watch the TV show Lost. And so, um, so I did. I, I began watching the show, and, and I'll just be honest, it kept my attention, right? It, it kept my attention through, through all 42 seasons. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm watching, and then I get to the, to the finale, the, 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 the series finale. I get, I get to the end... And here's what I realized after I watched the finale, that I, I realized that I had wasted a lot of my life that I'll never get back, <laughs> right? Um, the, the ending ruined it, right? It ruined it for me. And, and so you, do you ever get to the end of a story and you wish for something more? You, you wish for something different. Well, we, we get to the end of the book of Mark and that's what has happened. The people who were compiling the manuscripts realized that the ending was very abrupt. And in an effort to wrap up the story in a neat and tidy way, scholars believe that, that they compiled what the other gospel writers had written and, and put it back into the accounts of the death and resurrection of Jesus in Mark. They pieced this and that together and put it in to place it as, as the finish of the book of Mark. But, but as we study more and more, we're, we're, we're learning that the most reliable copies of the book of Mark end at verse 8. Those verses are, are not recognized at the end by most people to be the best ending to the book of Mark. And so, so here's a question I think we need to deal with. Sorry that this is so, um, that, that we have to think a lot today as we wrap this up. But um, it, it, does it really end as abruptly as we see in verse 8? 
the, the majority believe that Mark did not stop as abruptly as what we see in verse 8. Most believe that there's actually more to the book of Mark um, that, that was written. And that either through damage or through be, uh, being lost in, in some manuscripts, we don't have the, the end of the book of Mark. And so here's what that leaves us with. It leaves us, the reader, with the task of reading the eight verses that we do have with an understanding of what we do have, learning from these eight verses. And so we ended on a low note last week. We, we ended on sorrow over our own sin. We ended on, on, on deep sorrow to, to the end of, of the life of Jesus where, where, where the, the judgment and wrath was poured out on, on Jesus. Judgment and wrath that we deserved, right? Because Jesus is sinless, he's perfect, he's a spot, spotless lamb, yet even while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. That's how we ended last week, death. So how do we jump into now the, the end of this book? Let's look, chapter 16. And let's read and finish our series. Here's what it says, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples... And Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And that's what we have for an ending of our book. Now what do we see? What, what do we see in this? I think we, we see just simply two things, and that, that's where we're going to go. Two things, two points. I, I want us to see that there's a human perspective in this, and that there's a God perspective. There, there's, a, there's closure in death. I think we see that from the human perspective. There's closure in death. And then from a God perspective, there's hope in life. When it comes to death, we want closure, don't we? That's what we want as, as humans. We want closure. We have this view of, of finality. And, and it seems that Jesus' followers had a view of death that was final. Even though Jesus had repeatedly told his followers, after three days, I'm going to rise again. He's predicted it over and over and over. It, it seems as if his followers think that this is final. Could we say that his followers really don't even believe him? Could we, could we say that, that maybe they had no expectation at all that Jesus would actually rise from the dead? But here's the question I think we all need to grapple with. Would we be any different? Right? We, we, we're following this man, and, and he's predicting it. But no, we just saw the man die. We just saw him shoved into a, a tomb. Would we have believed Jesus in those accounts? I, I don't think I would have. 
And so what do we see of the disciples, specifically in chapter 16 of these, these women? I, I think we see in them wanting closure in death. They're wanting some closure in, in death. They're saddened by his death, and they want to bring closure to all of this. They want to bring the closure in the death of Jesus. And we still do the same kind of thing today. We do funerals, and we, and we take flowers to the gravesite, and we want some sort of closure in, in death. And we see in verse 1 that the Sabbath has now passed. And, and Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and Salome are on their way to the tomb with spices. Why? They're working through issues of closure. It's done. They're, they're working through issues of closure. They weren't taking perfume to the tomb to, to worship Jesus in anticipation of him, him coming back. No, these were spices that were used to anoint the body at death to cover up the smell of the decaying corpse. And so they're, they're bringing closure to the life and death of Jesus. They weren't allowed to do this when Jesus died because the Sabbath was qu- quickly closing in. And so they had to wait. They, they can't do that kind of work on, on the Sabbath. And so now they come as early as they can. Mark tells us when the sun had risen. And so they're heading to the tomb with spices to anoint the corpse uh, of Jesus. Now three days after his death. They're bringing closure to the, the life and death of Jesus. In their minds, it's over. They're bringing spices to spruce up the smells of a dead, decaying body. And as they're walking, they're talking through the practicalities of what needed to happen when they get there. I think that's somewhat amusing. They're, they're walking and they're, they're remembering the size of the stone in front of the door. And they're talking through how that's all going to work out. Now, Mary, you remember, right? You, you lift with your knees, not with your back, right? Salome, you're a hefty gal, right? Put your back into this. We're, we're going to do this. And, and so they're walking and, 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 and planning on how they're going to do that. And then we get to verse 3, and, and they ask, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? They're, they're wondering how this is all going to go down. If you remember, these, these women saw where Jesus had been laid just, just days earlier. And, and, and they saw the stone rolled in front of the doorway. And we understand that they believed that Jesus was no more. In their minds, the, the death of Jesus was final. They, they weren't walking down the street having the conversation. Do you think that really happened? Right? Maybe that was just a bad dream. We, we've all been there where something bad happens and, and we're slapping ourselves wondering, is this a dream? Right? Is this a dream? That, that's not what these ladies are doing. They don't even have those kinds of questions. Jesus is dead as they're walking. It's a done deal. We saw the body. We saw the stone that was rolled in front of the door. It's over. How are we going to open that door? If only we knew of 12 strong, courageous men who followed Jesus. But we don't. And so we're going to need some help. Closure. All right? It was over. But, but as they're walking, they look up and they notice that the stone has been rolled away. And, and Mark gives us detail in verse 4. He says, the stone was very large. E- even though the stone had been rolled away, they were still expecting death. They were, they were coming in to bring closure to what they knew had happened. And so they walk into the tomb and they find a, a young man sitting on the right side. Interesting detail. 
sitting on the right side. He's dressed in a white robe, and we're told that, that the women were alarmed. Why? Why? B- because they were expecting a dead body, right? That, that's all they were expecting. In their, in their minds, this was over. They were coming to the tomb to, br- to bring closure to the life of someone that they had, had followed. And I, and I think we often live thinking that is the reality, don't we? We, we live in that kind of way that, 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 that there's this sorrow over death and we mourn the death of Jesus. Don't we live that way all too often? Where our minds automatically go to mourning over the death of Jesus. He died on a cross, right? And, and we celebrate it weekly with the broken bread and the, and the wine. And, and we, our minds focus on that. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing to think about and to, and to think through. But, but here's where, where their, their minds have gone. He's dead. It, it's over. We, we've brought closure to this. But is that where the story ends? Thank God that Mark didn't stop the story there. He, he goes on. The women are seeking closure in death. But what happens next brings hope in life. What, what does the man, probably an angel from God, a messenger sent from God, what does, he, what does he say to these women in the tomb? He tells them at least four things. There's probably a few other things that we could pull from this, but at least four things that, that should bring them hope. Four things that, that I think as we read them should bring us hope in the resurrection of Jesus, our King, our Savior, our, our Messiah. Here, here's, what they say, here's what he says first. Do not be alarmed. Look at verse 6. He says, do not be alarmed. First of all, don't be frightened. We, we just worked through our Advent series. And what did the angel say often when he came to Mary and when, he came to, when the angel came to the shepherds and, and, and Elizabeth? What did he, don't, don't be afraid. Right? The, the angel starts here, the messenger from God starts here by, by addressing their fear. You have come here seeking closure and finding the death, uh, uh, dead body of Jesus. What you are about to see is going to be very different than what you expected. And, and so there is no reason for fear. Do not be alarmed. They, they expected um, issues surrounding the death of Jesus to have some sort of fear there. And I think we're, we're all there too, where, where there's fear in death. It's unknown, it's uncertain, we, we don't know what it's going to look like, and so there's, there's fear in the unexpected issues around death, and we're not sure why these women were cautioned not to fear, to not be alarmed, but the whole issue of death brings with it fearful uncertainty, but should it? The man in the tomb moves right into hope, doesn't he? Don't be alarmed. He knows exactly why they're there. Don't be alarmed. I, I know why you've come here looking for Jesus. I know why you, you've come here. I know everything that's gone on. I know why you're here and you're looking for the man who has been crucified. I know everything about what has just happened. I know all of the facts. I know the truth about Jesus. And, and so this messenger says, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus. I know that. I, I think that would be more alarming. Somebody knowing my, my, my thoughts and my heart, shouldn't the truth about Jesus and the death of Jesus squelch our fears? And I think here, here's why. 
And thinking about the death of Jesus, we don't see it as closure. We, we see it as hopeful. Jesus has been crucified. He died, but that's not the closure to hope. Because in the death of Jesus, there was victory over sin and Satan. The author of Hebrews tells us of Jesus in, in chapter 2, verse 14. He says that through, through death, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you see what the author is, is saying? Through the death of Jesus, he's destroying the power of death. And, and the one who's over that, that that's the devil. And, and there are people who fear death and, and, and they live in slavery to death. And that should not be. Knowing that Jesus has died should give us hope in, the, in his death because he defeated Satan. Now, we may fear death. We, we may fear death. In fact, some of us may even be slaves to the fear of death. But our Savior died, and in his death, he defeated Satan. That should bring us hope, right? He, he died a death that defeated sin and Satan. But that, that's not where it stops. All right, so let, let's keep going. The messenger of God in the tomb says, I know who you're looking for. Jesus, the one who was crucified, the one who died. It's true, he died. Yet, yet... That should bring you hope, not fear. Hope that in his death we have been delivered. In his death, Satan has been defeated. Does that bring us hope? Does it? Does that bring us hope? That our enemy Satan has been defeated. That, that he does not have power over Jesus. Just like the song that we sang. We, we can move bravely into battle knowing that Jesus has won the war. So he says, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus. I, I know all about this. And then what does the messenger say next? Look at the end of verse 6. Here's where the hope is. Yes, he's died, but he has risen. He's not here. You, you can see for yourselves. Now, why should that bring hope to these women? Why should that bring hope to these women? The messenger has given quite a bit of information. You've witnessed the crucifixion. You saw him die. You saw him carried into his tomb. You saw where Joseph laid the body. You're coming here for closure in death, but instead you're getting hope in life. He has been resurrected from death to life. Go see for yourself. There's no need for closure what Jesus has predicted over and over and over has happened over and over. He said, yes, I'll be killed, but three days from that, I will rise from the dead. And, and I think it's really clear here that these women had no expectation of that happening at all. At, at all. And, and the disciples, I think we, we can include into that. They were coming to the tomb to bring closure to li the life of Jesus. They weren't expecting that what he had predicted would actually happen. I don't think his disciples expected that at all. Why? Because they all ran, didn't they? If they had hope in life after the death of Jesus three days later, why would they have run? Uh, one betrayed him, turned him in. One denied him three times. It's the women who are now here coming to honor Jesus by bringing closure to his life and death. But that closure is not needed because Jesus has risen from the dead. What he predicted has actually happened. And so why does that bring us hope? I think that's where we get. We get to the end, end of this book and, and we have to ask the question, why does the resurrection of Jesus bring us hope? 
I think there are a few reasons, and probably a lot of them, but let's work through a few of them this morning. I think first, Christ's resurrection brings us hope because it seals our salvation. It seals our, our salvation. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Where's our, our hope? Where, where's the living hope, hope? It's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God the Father has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of, of Jesus. Sinners like you and me are, are given new life because God looks at us, uh, us who believe as, as those who are in Christ, being united with Him, those who have been given new life. If He has been raised from the dead, we will be too. Death is not closure, but but hope, because Jesus didn't stay dead, because he, he didn't stay dead, he, he had been raised from the dead, and that is our, our living hope. Christ's resurrection brings us hope because it seals our salvation. And Christ's resurrection brings us hope because it points to our justification. That's a, that's a bigger word. Um, but but here's, here's where we're going there. Paul says in Romans chapter 4 that Jesus was delivered up for trespasses and raised for our justification. Have you all read it, read it that way before? That, that he's been raised for our justification. In other words, Jesus died for our sins. We talked about that last week and we talked about that through the, the whole book. And in his resurrection, we are justified because God now approves of, of the work of, of Christ dying on the cross. And when God looks at Christ, he sees nothing but his beloved son and he approves in all of the work that has been done there. There is no penalty left for, for sin to be, to be paid. No more wrath to be satisfied. No more punishment needed. God completely approves of Jesus in his resurrection and now sees us through his son. And, and he's declared us righteous. Christ's resurrection brings us hope and it seals our salvation. And Christ's resurrection brings us hope because it points to our justification. And in Christ's resurrection brings us hope. Hope that one day we too will also be raised from the dead. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ was the first to be raised from the dead. If Christ had not been raised, then all of our faith is in vain. That's a crucial element. It, all of our faith is in vain. It's futile. And then Paul tells us that, it, that, that we are still sitting in our sins, if that's what we think. We're, we're still resting in our sins. But that's not the case because Jesus has been raised from the dead and we too will be raised from the dead. From the very beginning of sin in, in the garden with Adam, that God has promised the destruction of, of sin and, and the restoration of all things. And Christ was the beginning of that, being raised from the dead. For, for those who, who believe, we too will be raised from the dead. That should bring us hope. This life is not all we have. Shouldn't that bring us hope? Yeah, that one sin. This life is not all we have. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. That, that hits hard. 
If, if in this life, if that's all we have, then we are of all people most to be pitied. The resurrection of Jesus brings hope that one day we too will be raised from the dead to newness of life with Jesus forever and ever and ever and ever. There's more to this life than, than just stuff here. And so the messenger in the tomb tells the women, don't be afraid. Christ has been raised. He's not here. He, he's not here. Everything that has happened has been fulfilled and Christ has been victorious over death and, and sin and Satan. And then the fourth thing that the, the messenger tells these women not only that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but this. You should go and tell the disciples that Jesus is on his way to Galilee. That's an interesting little, little piece of information. Do you, do you remember that Jesus also predicted that? Do you remember that? Chapter 14 of Mark, Jesus is telling his disciples that the sheep will be scattered and right before Jesus predicts Peter's denial, he says in verse 20, 28 of, of chapter 14, After I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. They should, be, they should know this. They, they should be there waiting. This should, this should give the disciples and these women who now hear that extreme hope. Why? I want us to, I want us to sit here for just a second. Why? Why should that bring them hope that a messenger has told them he's already gone to Galilee? Go tell his disciples to meet him there. Why? I think it's this. The, the very first action of Jesus' public ministry was to gather his disciples. Do you remember where that happened? Galilee, right? He, he gathers some, some fishermen first. It's the very first action after his, his public ministry. What's the very first action after his resurrection? To gather his disciples in Galilee. And Mark tells us that the messenger in the tomb said, yes, even Peter, his disciples and even Peter, even the one who denied Christ three times, the men who ran away in fear and the one who denied him publicly three times are the ones who Jesus wants to be with after his resurrection. No amount of failure will separate the resurrected Jesus from his people. Do you hear that? No amount of failure and sin will separate Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, from his people. We can take comfort in that. We can take hope in that. That, that gracious act of Jesus should bring us hope. This is the gospel proclaimed from the tomb, isn't it? The, the resurrected Savior has a desire to be in relationship with, with people who are failures and traitors. People who, who are, are sinful to the core. Even while we were still sinning, Christ died for us and now has been resurrected and, and desires to be in relationship with us, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we've accomplished, but because of everything Jesus has accomplished. And so the words from the, the very beginning of Mark should be ringing in our ears. Does anybody remember chapter 1? Maybe that was the first or second week that we worked through Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That should be ringing through our ears because now the gospel is being proclaimed from an empty tomb. 
it's being proclaimed on the, the other side of the cross for the, for the first time. Jesus has a desire to be in relationship with sinners, not because of anything that they've done, but because of everything that he has done. He has defeated sin and death and is now reconciling, ransoming followers to God the Father. That should be a comfort to us now. That should bring us hope now. Jesus has a desire to be near us and to draw us near to the Father despite our sinfulness. Having a relationship with Him is is something that, that He desires of us, not because of what we've done, but in spite of it. Hear that? Not because of what we've done, but because of everything that He has done. And then what do we see in verse 8? We'll close it. What do we see in verse 8? The very last verse of the book of Mark as we, as we have it. The women run out of the tomb trembling. And I want us to see this. We're told that they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And that's how the book ends. In fear, the women walk away not opening their mouths, not proclaiming anything, not speaking any of the good news at all. Now, Is that a mirror to us? We know the resurrected Jesus and we walk away not saying a word. I think that that should show us ourselves. We know the resurrected Lord. We know the victory that has been accomplished in the resurrection of Jesus. And we all too often walk around as if nothing has happened at all. Not saying a word about it at all. You remember what Peter told us, we just looked at it, First Peter, that because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. We have a living hope because of the resurrection. And then later in that same book, the same Peter that denied Jesus, he's writing to a church in that same book in chapter 3. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope Where's our hope come from? The resurrection. Always be prepared to to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And so where does our hope come from? It it comes from the, the resurrection of Jesus. And all too often we're like these women who walk away not saying a, a word. We're, we're called to always be prepared to talk about the fact that there is more to this life. More to this life than than this world here. There's hope in in this life because of the resurrection. And and we are are like these women who walk away saying nothing. And so that's how Mark brings this book to an end. But that's not how we should end our study of the book of Mark. Bringing closure in death. Fearfully keeping silent. We know the risen Lord. We know the risen Lord and there's, there's hope in that. And so here's how we're going to end. We're going to end celebrating. We're going to end celebrating the fact that Jesus died for our sins, stood in our place, and, and then defeated sin and death and Satan forever when he rose from the dead. We're, we're going to celebrate. We're not going to walk away in fear. We're, we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus has defeated all of this, that he's swallowed up death in, in, in victory, that death has been defeated. Every week, I already talked about it, we, we celebrate communion together where we, we see the broken body of Jesus in the bread. 
The body has been broken. It's a meal that he instituted with his, his friends a few chapters earlier, chapter 14, somewhere in there, where he breaks bread and he shows that to his friends. And he says, this is my body. And he does the same with a cup of wine. He shows them this cup of wine. And he says, this is my blood that's been poured out for you, pointing to his death. And he says, take this and, and eat this and drink this in remembrance of me. So we're going to remember that, yes. But we're also going to celebrate that that wasn't the end. That Jesus then defeated sin and death by, by raising from the dead. We're, we're going to celebrate in song this morning. We're, we're going to sing this morning and, and celebrate the death of Jesus, knowing that he did not stay dead, knowing that there is no grave that could keep him. That there's, there's no grave that could keep him and that in his resurrection we find hope that our sin has been defeated and that he has won. We're going to celebrate. And so this morning, if you're a believer, we're going to sing some songs together. And, and then as believers, we're going to celebrate this meal together. But we're going to, we're going to make sure this morning that, that, that we're not closing it out on the death of Jesus. That we're going to celebrate the fact that he's also risen from the dead and defeated all of the sin that, that we, we hold on to at times. And if this morning you're here as someone who would not claim to be a believer, maybe you're here and you say, I don't understand all this Jesus stuff and I don't even agree with it, then this meal is not for you. It's not that we don't want you here. We're glad you're here and we want to keep talking through these things with you. But this is a meal for those who have put their hope and their trust in Jesus. And so can we celebrate together? Let me pray for us and then we're going to sing and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus, that he's one. Can we pray? Father, we come to you this morning because we have access to you. You have given us access through your son, Jesus, who stood in our place, took on our sin, died a death that we should have, and then defeated death by by raising from the dead, by being raised from the dead. We have access to you because of your son, Jesus. And so this morning we stand or we sit humbled by that. We have a God who had a plan for his son to be born on this earth, to to walk into manhood sinless, to gather a group of people who would be failures in all kinds of ways, to die a death that they should have died and we should have died, and then having been raised from the dead, having a desire to be with those same failures, not because of their failure, but because he has accomplished, Jesus has accomplished access to you for us. And so this morning we are humbled by that. We sit in that this morning. We understand that. And God, I pray that for each of us, myself included, that where we don't rest in the hope of Jesus' resurrection, that you would change us. Holy Spirit, would you put in us joy and hope and peace in the resurrection of Jesus? Would you do that? Now as we celebrate what has been accomplished, I pray, Father, I pray that you would be drawing us nearer and nearer to you, helping us to see our great need for a Savior. And that's Jesus, who has won it.
Amen.